welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 17. Can you believe New Year's Eve is just one week away? Now today's episode is about making 2020 the best year of our life. And now is the time to start preparing. We've all heard the saying, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And so I'm asking you, are you prepared for January 1? If you're a player, have you made a commitment to work on your game every day for the next year to ensure your success on the court? And if you're a coach or a parent, The best way we can help our athletes is to lead by example. Because if we want our kids to be committed, we have to be committed. I can't give something that I don't have, and I can't teach something that I don't know. And remember, if you know it and you don't do it, you don't know it. The only way to really know commitment is to live it. And so today, I wanted to share a personal story about a time when I wasn't prepared and how that turned into making my real first commitment. I remember tearing my calf muscle in spring league my senior year in high school, and I was going to be out for six weeks. And I never had a serious injury before, so I really didn't know what to expect. And the injury had come in not a very good time because I had to prepare for the summer exposure tournaments down in Las Vegas. And so I remember being diligent with my rehab, but didn't do a great job of preparing on the basketball court. And I've always known that confidence comes from putting work in. And I knew in the bottom of my heart, I really didn't put the work in I needed to be my best. And so I went down to Las Vegas, and instead of being aggressive on the offensive end, I passed up open shots. I kind of had that attitude that is, if you don't take the shot, you can't miss the shot. And I finished up the tournament knowing that I hadn't done my best. And I always had this vision of having a shoebox with all the letters from college coaches that wanted me to come and play for their school. But I remember walking out to my mailbox every day and left being disappointed because I didn't receive one Division I letter from a coach. And so I had to do some soul searching. I hated that feeling of knowing that I'd failed, knowing that I hadn't prepared the way I should have. And so that's when I made a decision. I would never be ill-prepared again. And I decided I'd buy a basketball. And I was going to carry this basketball with me everywhere I went until I signed my Division I scholarship papers. And so I showed up to the first day of school holding that basketball. And I remember all my friends saying, what are you doing with the basketball? And I simply just told them I'm carrying it everywhere I go. So I took it to class, to lunch, out on dates. I even had a special place on my pillow for this ball. I mean, I literally took it everywhere. On homecoming night, When I knocked on my girlfriend's door and her mom answered the door, she was like, you got to be kidding me because I had the ball in my hand. And she didn't even know the half of it. Because if you can imagine at the school dance when you have the pictures, you have the fake backdrop with the flowers. Well, it was my girlfriend, myself, and I was holding the ball in the pictures. That's how committed I was to carrying this ball everywhere I went. It's amazing how much more confident and comfortable you feel with the basketball if you have it in your hands all day long. And so I ended up having a great senior year. I was MVP of the league and we made it to playoffs. And so if you'd seen me walking around school with my basketball, you might have thought that I was kind of cocky. But the truth was, the ball was a reminder of a time I hadn't prepared, of a time I'd failed. 
and I was never going to let that happen again. I would never show up to a tryout or to a game without knowing that I'd done everything I could to succeed. And one of my favorite memories from that year was a district game where winner goes to state and loser goes home. And there was so much riding on it. And we were pretty much down the whole game, but we had climbed back to get us in a position where we were down by two with seven seconds left. And coach called a timeout and gave me a double high screen at the top of the key so I could take it to the hole and either score or draw a foul. And I remember being in that timeout thinking, this is what I put the work in for. And so as we inbounded the ball, I slowly dribbled it up to half court and realized that the defense wasn't coming out on me. And before I even thought about it, I rose up and hit a three to win the game. And it was just like a dream. The crowd went wild. And as I look up in the stands, I see my dad coming down and he's crying. And he gave me the biggest hug and just held me and I cried. And it was one of my favorite moments in basketball because the whole time I could just be in the moment. I wasn't scared because I know I put the work in. I had that ball with me every single day of my life for the last year. And so I knew I'd earned a right to take that shot, make or miss, so I could live with the result. But I knew my journey still hadn't ended because that dream of playing Division I basketball was still out in front of me. And so as season ended, I still didn't have one Division I offer. And I didn't really know what I was going to do until one day I got a phone call from a family friend named Fred Kroll who lived in Spokane. And he had arranged an opportunity for me to get a tryout with Gonzaga Bulldogs. And so I made the trip over from Seattle, and I knew this was my one shot, but I was prepared for it. And as I stepped on the court that day, there must have been magic in the air because it was one of those days where every shot found its way to the bottom of the net. And every rebound found its way into my hands. Even when I got beat on defense and swipe at the ball, I somehow picked it. I had played out of my mind that day. And after the scrimmage was over, Coach Munson walked me out to the car. And I'll never forget it because it was raining that day. And he told me, you know, I don't walk out just anyone in the rain. I want to make sure that you come here and you're a bulldog. And if you come and walk on and play the way that I think you can play, we have a scholarship waiting for you. And that was it. My one option was to play at Gonzaga, and I'd taken it. But I still hadn't signed that Division I scholarship paper yet. So I knew that meant another year of carrying the basketball with me everywhere I went. And I remember my first day on campus at Gonzaga. The very first day, I meet this small, skinny kid from Portland named Matt Santangelo. We were living in the same dorm, and he came and introduced himself. And we quickly found out that we were two peas in the pod. I'd never met anyone that was more of a gym rat than I was. And so meeting him was like heaven. And he had found his way to a key to the gym. And so at night, when most people were going out partying or doing what they were doing, him and I made our way down to the gym. And we got so many shots up and so many games of one-on-one. And he quickly became my family away from home. But my real highlight of my freshman year was our very first open gym. I remember walking in and being nervous because I didn't know any of the guys except for Santangelo. And then I looked across the court and I felt like my eyes were playing tricks on me because I look over there and I see the all-time leader in steals and assists in a game of basketball, John Stockton. And I had grown up watching him and Carl Malone playing against Jordan and Magic and Bird. And now I'm playing on the same court as this guy. And I looked over to one of the other players on the team and I said, Is that John Stockton? He's like, Oh yeah, he plays with us every preseason. And I'm like, What's it like playing with John Stockton? And he's like, Oh, it's great, man. He'll pass you the ball. But if you miss your first shot, he'll never pass you the ball again. 
And so I could feel myself tightening up a little bit. And of course, as fate would have it, I end up being on John's team the very first game. And I was so nervous. That first game, I kept trying to put myself in positions where I couldn't take a tough shot. But if you know anything about Stockton, if you're open, he's going to find you. And that's exactly the way it worked. He drives to the hole and I'm on the baseline. My guy goes to help and he kicks it out. And I'm right in that teacup shot, just right on the baseline, about 15 feet out. You can't use the backboard and you don't have the depth perception. And as I'm shooting it, all I'm thinking is, don't airball this shot. But thank goodness for muscle memory and all the work I put in that last year. I went up and it left my fingertips and it was a swish. And so was the next one. And so was the next one. It's amazing playing with stocks. Because if you can hit a 15-footer and a layup, you're going to feel like Carl Malone. And so we ran the course that day. We didn't lose one game. And the next day he picked me up. And the next day, I got to play with him every single day that preseason. It's amazing how one player can make the game so easy for his teammates. I remember one day we literally ran the tables. It was myself, Stockton, and a couple of the old guys. And we didn't lose all day long. And after the open gym, Coach Few calls the whole team together and yells at everyone. He said, are you serious? You're letting a couple old guys and a walk-on beat you? And I didn't know if that was a compliment or a put-down, but I remember feeling so good because I was playing the best basketball of my life. But unfortunately, that feeling didn't last forever because John went back to the Utah Jazz and we started official practice. And then I realized I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Because the upperclassmen were bigger, faster, stronger, more skilled, and they knew the plays. And I absolutely got worked that fall. That freshman year was probably the toughest year of my life. The newness of college had worn off. I was homesick. School was challenging. And I was still carrying that ball with me the whole time. And what people don't realize is I wasn't carrying that ball to be cool. I actually felt like a dork carrying it around because I was a walk-on, red-shirt freshman. I was the lowest man on the totem pole. It wasn't like I was the star guard carrying the basketball around. I was the kid that wasn't good enough to get a scholarship carrying the basketball. And the worst was going to college parties because all I wanted to do was fit in, yet I showed up carrying this basketball with me, looking like a dork. But I made a commitment, and I was going to carry that ball until I signed my Division I scholarship papers. And I knew the time was coming because I talked with Coach, and he said, hey, let's talk about your scholarship over Christmas break when we're in Seattle. And so I was waiting for that day. And since I'm from Seattle, I got to stay with my folks when I was back home. And so my dad had taken me to the hotel to meet with Coach before practice. And so I went up to his hotel room, and he sat me down, and I could tell something wasn't quite right. You know, he started explaining to me how I was a good player and I had a really good work ethic. But what the team really needed was a big for next year. And so they were going to take the scholarship and give it to somebody else. And from that point on, I really don't remember what he said because all I could think about was trying not to cry. I felt like such a fool. And then I had to keep it together as I walked through the lobby and saw my teammates. And I started thinking, wow, do they think I'm not good enough either to be on scholarship? I was just really embarrassed and disappointed. And my dad pulled up to pick me up and opened up the car door and he said, how'd it go? And I just couldn't hold it in any longer. I just said, please drive. And I started crying. I really felt like I let my family down and even my teammates down. And at that point, I was ready to quit. 
And I'm so thankful for my family and I'm so thankful for my teammates that they didn't let me. You know, my dad let me cry and air it out all the way to practice. But by the time he pulled up in the parking lot, he told me what I had to do and who I was. He said, you're not a quitter. You're a fighter. You knew it wasn't going to be easy. You knew you're going to have to put the work in. This is what you're going to do. You're going to lace up your shoes. You're going to walk in that gym with your head high and you're going to play as hard as you've ever played because that's who you are. And boy, I tell you, if he wasn't there that day, there was no way I was showing up to practice. But my dad was my strength when I didn't have any. And then as I walked in the gym, my teammates had kind of figured out what happened. And without saying a word, they gave me fives and hugs, letting me know that they had my back. And so when people asked me, how did I make it? Well, I said, I didn't. We did. I couldn't have done it without their help. And I knew the road ahead was going to be long. I had to pay for another year of school, but I committed to putting the work in. And by that next year, I was on scholarship. And by the end of my redshirt sophomore year, I actually broke into the starting lineup. And I remember leaving my ball back in Seattle as I came back from my sophomore year. And a lot of people ask me, do you still have your ball? And I say, no. That ball was a reminder of a time where I hadn't prepared. And I knew I would never, ever let that happen again. And I wanted to tell this story because it's easy to think that we can make it on our own. But one of my core truths is, is that I can't be who I ought to be until you are who you ought to be. And you can't be who you ought to be until I am who I ought to be. And see, when you look at life that way, you realize that all our destinies are wrapped up in one another and that we need each other's help. As mentally tough as people might have thought I was, there's no way I'd do this without my parents and my teammates and my family. And as a parent, it's challenging to find that balance between helping your kids and letting them figure it out on their own. It's easy to go to the extremes of either being that helicopter parent and pushing your kids too hard or stepping back too far and letting them figure it out on their own. What I found to be most helpful for me and for my family is the middle path. I like using the analogy of learning how to play guitar. See, forcing someone to play usually doesn't work out well, but either does making them figure it out by themselves. Learning to play is challenging. It hurts your fingers and it makes you feel uncoordinated. And after a week of trying, most people are going to give up because it's not fun to do things that make you feel inadequate. Guitar and basketball aren't fun when you're not good at them. But there's so much fun if you can make it through the dip. I knew my son would love playing guitar if he could just learn how to play his favorite song. And so we made a commitment. We were going to practice guitar for five minutes a day. And after that first week and that first month, it was frustrating for him. But he only had to do it for five minutes. But on those days where he was motivated, we might do it for 15 or 30 minutes. And I could tell those days where he was frustrated and wanted to quit, I thought about my parents and I thought about my teammates. When I went through my dip, how difficult it was, and they didn't let me quit. And so that's what I've done too. On those days where he's a little tired or unmotivated, I say, come on, man, you and I will do it together. We pop out the guitar, we play for a couple minutes. I could tell he's frustrated, we put it away. And if you can make it through a couple of those sessions, pretty soon he starts to get it. And now he's at a point where he's a really good guitar player. He made it through the dip. And now I don't have to be there and have to be his strength. He could do it on his own. And don't get me wrong. He did all the work himself. There's no way you can play guitar for somebody else. They have to go through the struggle. But I guess what I'm saying is, sometimes we all need a little extra help. And so now I'm thinking that 2020 is just a week away. And now's the time to make a commitment to make it the best year of your life. And how are you going to do it? 
Well, first off, I think you have to turn your goal into a commitment. My goal was to earn a Division I scholarship, but everyone wants that. That's not the unique part. What made me successful was turning that goal of a Division I scholarship into the commitment of carrying a basketball everywhere I went. And that wasn't something I wanted to do. That was something I told myself I have to do. Basketball is so important to me, there's no way I'm going to let myself fail. And so what's your commitment? What's one thing that you could do every day for the next 365 days? Now, I don't expect you to carry a basketball. That's probably too big of a commitment. But what's one thing that you can commit to doing for five minutes a day? One of my friends, Max Marzo from Strong by Science, just posted this the other day. He said, if you commit to reading 10 pages a day, just 10, at the end of the year, that's 3,650 pages. That's the equivalent of reading 12 300-page books over the course of a year. And everybody has time for 10 pages. What's one area that you want to be an expert in in the next year? Do you think if you read 12 300-page books on that subject that you'd be considered an expert? Well, if not, you'd be pretty dang close. Just think, what if you had done this 10-page commitment for all of 2019? Think about how much smarter you'd be in that subject. Or maybe it's a physical commitment that you want to make. Are you inspired to be in the best shape of your life? What if you turned your goal of completing your workout into a commitment, something that you had to do? How much better shape could you be in the next year? Or maybe it's a spirit goal. Maybe you want to make a connection with a loved one. What if you committed to asking your partner one quality question each day? Think about how much of a better understanding you'd have of them through these quality conversations. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh said, you can't love someone if you don't understand them. And once you understand them, you can't help but love them. And the truth is, it really doesn't matter what your commitment is. The key to all of it, I really believe, is putting a calendar on your wall And every day that you complete the commitment, you earn the right to mark an X. So after a week, you have seven X's in a row. You can call it your chain of success. And after the month, your whole calendar would be filled with X's. And the reason why I think this is so important is I've tried to do it without having the physical calendar. And without that visual reminder, I failed every time. The only time I haven't failed is when I made that decision to put the calendar on my wall. And now I have over 1,500 days of success, and there's no way I could fail now. You see, I start a hoop commitment as a way for players to practice the life skills of nutrition, training, and leadership, so they'll be prepared for when their difficult time comes. I love having my players make a commitment to practice basketball every day for a month. They have to hang their calendar on the wall so they don't forget. So whether you're a player, coach, or a parent, I'm hoping you'll join me January 1 by hanging a calendar on your wall and making a commitment. If you want to wear a Hoop Commitment ring as a reminder of your commitment, you can buy one online at hoopcommitment.com forward slash rings. And to all of those of you listening out there, earn your X.